Good morning. Happy Easter. I, uh, do we have any Ukrainians in the room? How do you say it? Say it again. One more time. I'd give up. I don't know what he said. <laughs> that was Ukrainian for Christ. He's risen. He is risen. What? Oh, he's risen. He is risen indeed. That's, okay, beautiful. Uh, wonderful. Uh, well, that's the traditional Easter Sunday greeting, which Christians around the world today in, in every language are saying to one another, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And uh, the greatest, the greatest of gifts to celebrate. So I'm just glad you're here to celebrate on this special day. Uh, I know some of you maybe are here for the first time or for the first time in a long time. And if that's you, we're just delighted that you're with us. Can I let you in on a little secret? On Easter weekend, while, uh, while you're all frolicking in the fields, collecting candy-filled Easter eggs and putting it in your baskets and having ham and scalp potatoes a second time, you gluttons. <laughs> having to unbuckle your, your belt. Um, pastors are stressed out. All right? I'm not looking for sympathy, but it's like, hey, we know that kind of Easter is a big deal. We want this to feel special. We know there's some people that are in church, they're giving this, they're dipping their toe in the church pool for the first time. We want them to leave going, yeah, that was nice. I kind of like that. Music was good, uplifting, even a little bit of humor in the me- I kind of like that. Maybe, maybe I'll come back because we want that. I mean, we want you to come back um, just because we think this is a great place for you. We think that this is a place we believe where you will encounter God in life-changing ways. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we pastors, we kind of feel this burden on Easter. We want the music to be lively, and, you know, I want to be, and the message should be uplifting and dynamic, and, um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, and, and it might be those things, and it might not be those things, okay? Uh, but here's what Easter reminds us of. It's that our faith and our life is not built on feelings. Our faith and our life is not built on positive vibes, inspirational thoughts. It's not built on good advice, like here's three ways to overcome your problems, looking to the life of Jesus as an example. It's not, it's not a way of finding good advice or learning good techniques. That's not what our faith and our life is built on. Our faith and our life is built on good news about something that has happened in space and in time, in history. Something that happened an event that changed the world, is still changing the world, is still changing lives. And that's the reality that God took on flesh, that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and my sin and the sin of the world, and three days later, he rose from the dead. That, that news is what our faith in our life is built on. So yeah, I hope there's some fuzzy feelings this morning, but I want us to know our faith isn't about feelings, it's about this incredible fact. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, I don't know, do you believe that? Some of you, yeah, you're convinced. Some of you, you're like, I don't know, haven't thought about it too much. Some of you, you might be skeptical. 
Uh, I mean, after all, like, nobody really debates whether Jesus died on the cross. Historians, scholars, we know there was a guy named Jesus. He had a following. He did some things. He said some things. He ticked off some important people. They killed him on a Roman cross. Not really up for debate. But that whole, like, three days later, rose from the dead thing. That one, hmm. Here's the thing. We really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I just want you to know that. Like when we, when, when we sing about that, when we talk about that, we're not using an allegory. Okay? We, 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 we don't think that the resurrection of Jesus is wishful thinking. We don't think it's myth. It's legend. It's allegorical. We don't think it's just something that we want to be true, so we just say it, or that it's something mom and dad believed and it seemed to work for them so we'll believe it too and we're just not going to think about it too deeply no no we really believe that jesus rose from the dead and we really believe that that makes all the difference and there are actually reasons why we believe jesus rose from the dead um you know those first christians there as you just heard the story that was read I, i mean they weren't gullible people they weren't stupid people they knew people didn't rise from the dead sometimes we think well they were primitive people they didn't know any better didn't have science you know all that stuff um, but you heard the words of those guys when they heard the news from the women. It's like they thought they were out of their mind. They were crazy. They were insane. Why? Because dead people don't come back to life. No. So the, the story ended with Peter wondering what had happened because this doesn't happen. What does this mean? What has just happened? So there are reasons that we believe are convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. And there's a bunch of them. But I just want to quickly, and this isn't really the point of my sermon, but just before we talk about what the resurrection of Jesus means, I think it's good to, to know that there are reasons why I believe that we believe this happened. Good reasons. And so, I mean, just as I was thinking on this weekend, six, six reasons that for me are kind of compelling. The first one, if we look at that list up there, is, is just the proximity of the accounts of Jesus' resurrection, like in the Gospels in here, to the actual event itself. Um, all of those accounts were written in, in the lifetime of those that actually lived during the resurrection, of, of the witnesses, right? Because this isn't, this isn't some big game of generational telephone, you know, telephone, one person tells one person, who tells one, and the story starts to change. One generation tells another generation, tells another generation, tells another generation, um, and, and then the story just kind of morphs, and we have this story. You know, all of these accounts were written, recorded in the lifetime in which they took place, in the lifetime of the events, and so Luke, we just heard Luke's account of the resurrection. This is how Luke begins his gospel, Luke chapter 1. In the opening verses, he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they have been handed down to us by those who first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too have decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. He's written this letter to a young guy named Theophilus, so that you might know the certainty, the certainty of the things you were being taught. He says, I've, Luke was an investigative journalist. He did all the research, all the interviews, and this was his result. So I find that's kind of compelling, the proximity of these accounts to the events themselves. You know, legends, they take generations to build. This is not a legend. 
The second thing I find compelling is that, you know, if, if someone was wanting just to make up a story to, like, invent a religion or, or, you know, gain some credit for themselves, there are details in here you just wouldn't choose to include unless it was actually true. Like, for instance, the fact that it's the women that go to the tomb first and they see that it's empty and they meet these angels and they, they encounter the risen Christ and they bring this good news to the disciples. Um, you know, because I think we've learned you know, that, that women are just, are, are no more gullible than men and just as trustworthy as men. Some would make the claim more so. Maybe. Um, but you have to know that back in the biblical days, I mean, a woman's testimony meant next to nothing. It was half, legally, it was half the worth of a man, right? So if you're going to make a testimony and go, yeah, it's the women, it's the women that found the empty tomb, it's the women that encountered Christ, it's the women that delivered the good news, you just wouldn't do that. It just would not lend the story credibility, right? And if you look at the story, man, the disciples, they come out looking bad, full of fear, full of doubt. It does not reflect well on, you wouldn't write this story with these type of details to convince people of something if it wasn't the way it happened, if it wasn't true. I find that kind of compelling. Another reason I think that we believe in the resurrection is just the number of witnesses that met the risen Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul says in... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, he says, What I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Essentially, he's saying, listen, okay, this isn't secret knowledge. You know, like some religions, it normally starts with, I want to tell you what happened. I know you weren't there. No one else was there. You're going to have to take my word for it. I found these golden tablets. I translated it with the help of an angel. And this is a new revelation from God. Oh, no, the, the tablets, they were taken up to heaven, so you can't find them anymore, unfortunately. I'm the only one who saw them, but you're just going to have to take my word for it. He says, hundreds and hundreds of witnesses, most of whom are still alive. Go, you know, go ask them. I'll give you names, addresses, cell phone numbers. You go ask. They'll tell you if you're not sure. So this isn't just kind of the delusions of a mad person concocting this. This is hundreds and hundreds of verifiable witnesses are still. I find that kind of compelling. The sudden transformation of the disciples from gloom to courage, from fear to this boldness. How did that happen? What did they experience that after the cross... They thought it was all over. They were next. They were going to be arrested. They were probably going to be killed. There they are hiding in a dark room behind a locked door and something happened that propelled them to leave that, that fear and in boldness proclaim to anyone who would hear the public square, kings, emperors, going boats, foreign lands to declare this message that God sent his son who died on the cross for the sins of the world and rose from the dead, making a way for us to have life with God. What happened? This sudden transformation of the disciples. It, there's no way to explain that other than they met the risen Jesus. And the disciples, they, they sacrificed everything for this claim. I mean, if you're going to invent a story, you know, if you're going to read the Da Vinci Code or something, you know, like, 
people, let's, uh, how, can we, how can we make a religion to make ourselves rich and powerful? Because that's what it's always about. You've watched those Netflix specials, right? That's what it's always about. It's about wealth, power, women. If they're dudes, they're always dudes, right? And yet this message brought nothing but death to these people. They lost everything. They lost everything for this message, and yet they boldly proclaimed, even unto death. History tells us that almost every one of those people, to a man, one of those disciples, lost their faith because of the message that they proclaimed. They sacrificed everything because they were convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. Why would you give up your life for something that's not true? something that you don't believe to your core. And then there's just the personal transformation that many of you have experienced in your own life, right? Today, around the world, throughout history, right? How, how people who have come to Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, their lives have been transformed through Him, through His power. So many of you have got a personal story that lends credibility to this message, to the power of God, the power of Jesus. One of them was a woman in Chicago a number of decades ago. I don't know her first name. Her last name was Strobel, Mrs. Strobel. She wasn't a Christian. She'd become a Christian. She'd come to believe in this message, and her life was kind of changed, but her husband was skeptical, right? And he, he was like a thought processor. He was an investigative journalist for the top Chicago newspaper, and so he thought, my wife's been captured by this 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 deception, whatever this is, this delusion, right? So he was going to go and he was going to save his wife and he was going to do all the evidence to show how this was just a bunch of malarkey. And so Lee Strobel went and he did a deep dive into all the evidence he could, he could gather to make a case against Christ and the resurrection. And he ended up writing a book, some of you read it, called The Case for Christ. He came to believe that there was no other explanation for all these reasons and more, but that it's true. Jesus rose from the dead. He became a Christian himself and a believer. So there are reasons, church, that we believe Jesus rose from the dead. But it doesn't really matter one way or the other. Like, after all, didn't Jesus say on the cross, it is finished, right? Because on Good Friday, if you were here, we talked about those words, right? On the cross, he died, we believe, for the sacrifice, uh, a perfect sacrifice for our sin. He bore our guilt, on that cross, and he won for us God's forgiveness, and, and he finished it on the cross. It is finished. So does it really matter, the resurrection? Isn't it just kind of like icing on the cake? Like kind of the extra point after the touchdown? Ah, you missed it, you get it, whatever. We got the, we got the six points. Kind of like the encore at the end of, of, the, of, the, of the concert. Great concert, bonus song, awesome. It's like the heated seats, right, of our faith. It's like, I'd, I'd prefer to have heated seats. I don't necessarily need them. I could live without heated seats. Although, honestly, I can't live without heated seats anymore. I just, once you taste heated seats, you just can't. This spoils you forever. It's nice. Yeah, the resurrection's nice, but is it necessary? Do you really need to believe? Is it that important? Isn't it just kind of about the cross? Well, Paul suggests that the resurrection of Jesus is at the very foundation of our faith. Because he would say in Romans 10, verses 9, he would say, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Not, if you, believe, if, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that Jesus died on the cross, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Apparently that's important. Apparently that makes a difference. And so he would say in 1 Corinthians 15, if you, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to be in here for a few minutes. This is what Paul would say here in verse 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. In other words, I might as well stop what I'm doing and go be a used car salesman. What I'm doing here is, 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 has no value. And so is your faith. Your faith is useless if Christ has not been raised. He says it again in verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile for you are still in your sins. In other words, there's something about the resurrection of Jesus that it's so important that it needs to be true for our faith to be true, for it to be true that we are no longer in our sins. What, what is that? What, what difference? Like I, on, on Good Friday, I said that the three most important words Beautiful, profound words ever been uttered are the words, it is finished from Jesus on the cross. But then I told you Good Friday, actually there are three more just as important. And they're the words, he is risen. It was, it is finished. Why do we need he is risen? I just want to give you three from, from these verses in 1 Corinthians 15, three reasons, and, and you could preach many sermons on, on the difference Jesus' resurrection makes. But I just want to give you three reasons why it's important, why it makes a difference for us. And the first one is this. Jesus' resurrection validates his sacrifice on the cross. It proves to us that what he said was happening on the cross actually was happening. It weren't just words, empty words. When he said, it is finished, and all he had taught and all he displayed was that on the cross, he was our perfect substitute, saving us from our sins by bearing the guilt of our sin so that we could be forgiven and liberated from our sin and made re reconciled to God. I mean, how do we know that when he said it is finished, it, it was actually finished? Can't anybody say those words? Can't Rusty just be like, I'm the son of God. I'll forgive your sins. I'll, I'll take off some important people and get myself hung on a cross and I'll say it is finished. It's a big claim. How can we have confidence that that's true? How can we actually put our hope, our life into Christ's hands? Peter said in Acts chapter 5, verse 30, he said, "The God of our ancestors raised Jesus, or uh, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. But God exalted him to His own right hand as Prince and Savior, and he might, that He might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. You put him on the cross, but God raised him from the dead to show that your sins, in fact, are can be forgiven through Him." His resurrection validates his work on the cross. It is God's divine stamp of approval. I approve this message. When Jesus said, it is finished, the resurrection is God saying, I approve this message. 
that Jesus is not a counterfeit Savior, that he did, in fact, bear our sin, that it is, in fact, finished. The resurrection shows the cross was effective. It was all sufficient to lead us into a place of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. It was not a tragedy, but it was a triumph. It wasn't a defeat. It was a victory. And how do we know that? Because Jesus rose from the dead. And that's why it's that event that changed the disciples. It wasn't the cross. I mean, they weren't jazzed after the cross. They weren't ready to go bring this message around the world after the cross. They thought it was over. What changed their perspective was the resurrection because now they looked back on the cross and it changed what they thought happened there. It gave them confidence that on the cross Jesus was becoming a, a savior for us, for all who would believe in him. So the resurrection validates that everything Jesus said was true and everything he did was effective and now we can have confidence in the cross that our sins are forgiven. If Jesus rose from the dead, then we are no longer in our sins. It is finished. That's one difference the resurrection makes. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection, it doesn't just confirm what Jesus did on the cross, that it was effective. His resurrection completes, completes the process of our redemption. Because the cross is just kind of like one half of a two-sided coin. Because, you know, we have two enemies. We have the enemy of sin and the enemy of death. And sin brings death into the world. L -l Listen what how Paul would continue here. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. It says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. What, what Paul is saying is Jesus needs to completely reverse the curse. All that was true because of the sin that came into the world through Adam and Eve, and when sin came into the world, death came with it because that's what God had said, right? When he made them, when he put them in the garden, and he said, here's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it. If you eat of it, you will die. And they rebelled against God, and they went their own way, and they sinned, and the consequence of their sin was death. Paul would say in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Paul would say later here in 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin. It's a picture of this wasp flying around with a stinger. The stinger is sin. He says if you get stung with sin, it, it kills you, it brings death. It's cause and effect. Sin, cause, death, effect. And Jesus came to reverse the curse, so he needed to defeat both sin and death. And on the cross, he overcomes the power of sin, but now he must finish the work. After having finished the work of sin, he must finish the work and overcome death because we as sinners are all subject to death. So his Resurrection kind of completes our redemption. It reverses 
the curse and brings us back into that place that God created us to be. Eternal fellowship with Him. If Jesus had stayed in the tomb, we would have had no reason to hope on this life. That's what he said. Paul, he said, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we, we are the most to be pitied. Yeah, I might have some benefits for this life, but then, but then death is the end. So maybe just go eat and drink and be merry if he's not, you know, go binge watch Netflix and just follow your every whim and desire and spend all your money on yourself and live for yourself, Right? But if Jesus rose from the dead, then we have a hope that's not just for this life. It's a hope that goes beyond this life because Jesus, in his resurrection, Paul says, is the first fruits. Easter is like a spoiler alert, right? It tells us the end of the story. And if you're one of those persons that doesn't like the end of the story, like you want to be left in suspense, you don't want to know how it ends, oh, I don't want to hear, you're not going to like Easter, Okay? Easter is like the spoiler light. It's like Jesus has overcome death in his resurrection. He has become the first fruits so that all who would believe in him, they too would experience a resurrection of their own and live in that same life forever with God. Because Jesus has risen, we too will rise. So Jesus would say in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and those who live by believing in me will never die. In other words, there's two lives but there's only one death. We're gonna die. But he says, because he is the resurrection and the life, because he has overcome sin and death, all who trust in him, when they die, there's life on the other side of that. Death is not the end. And when you have that life, there is no more death. It's just life. Just life. Isn't that good news? Some of, I mean, we've, some of us, we've lost people. Isn't it good news to know that death does not have to be how it ends? The resurrection means we have this eternal hope that keeps going. If Jesus rose, we too will live this is what we see in his resurrection. It completes our redemption. It secures our future. The third thing I want us to see is that Jesus' resurrection shows his power over everything else. His complete power and authority over everything that could come against you. Everything that would seek to undo you, overwhelm you, and destroy you. He has power and authority over that. Because some of you, you've got enemies. You've got struggles, battles you're fighting. You've got enemies against you that would seek to um, end you. But look what Paul says as he continues here in verse 24. He says, the, then the end will come when he, Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The greatest enemy, the most powerful enemy that could come against Jesus or against us is death. Because what's that saying? There's two things in life that are certain. What are they? Death and taxes. And we're in tax season, right? 
And my accountant is way too honest. I said, can't you fudge the numbers a little bit? He's like, Rusty, I go to your church. You're my pastor. I shouldn't do that. It's kind of immoral and it's unethical. But I said, I can give you absolution. I have that authority to forgive your sin. He said, Rusty, I've read the Bible. No, you don't. You don't have that. You're, you're right. Okay, fine. So, except that taxes isn't really a gear because there's a place called Cayman Islands, right? Yeah, and there's Monaco. And there's these tax havens, and if you have enough money, you don't got to pay taxes. No, taxes isn't a guarantee. We're just left with death. No one's figured that one out yet. I mean, they've tried. In fact, I just read a couple days ago, there's this, and maybe you have too, there's this rich billionaire. Uh, his name is Brian Johnson. Rich billionaire. That seems like an unnecessary... Yeah, not like one of those poor billionaires. Um, he, he, he spends uh, a lot of money every year trying to reverse the aging process. Over $2 million he invests every year to try to, every trick that he can come up with to re-engineer his body to be that of an 18-year-old man. And so he just, he just spent $200,000 on, on this, conducting this machine that uh, he, he hooks himself up to it, his, his kind of core here, and for 30 minutes, it stimulates whatever the muscles, and it's equivalent to 20,000 push-ups. And um, so I went on Amazon to see if I could find one, and... Uh, <laughs> And they were all sold out. So, um, <laughs> but I, I've tried that. You know, I, so it was a very similar machine, $19.99 for easy installments. And uh, the shopping channel didn't work. Stupid thing. Um, so he, he's just, he's doing everything he can to try to overcome death, right? I'm, I'm going to guess that he probably won't be successful. Death is the most powerful foe that we face. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's the last enemy that Jesus brings under his power. Um, but if he has defeated the power of death, is there any power that is greater than his? Is there, is there anything that's outside of his dominion, his authority, and his power? Like, why did Jesus... Uh, stayed dead for three days. Like, why didn't he just like, okay, he died, last breath, <gasps> I did it, died, rose again, done, right? Like one of those kind of, those experiences, you know, saw the light, the tunnel, saw grandpa, read a book, maybe make a movie about it. Like, why, why three days? Why dead for three days? M maybe there's multiple reasons for that. But I think he was dead for three days to show he was dead. Like, good and dead. Not kind of dead. Not partly dead. Like, oh, under the right circumstances, maybe, <gasps> you know, y'all hear the stories. He is dead, dead. I remember in my teenage years, I really liked the WWF, right? The wrestling my heart was broken when I found out it was fake. It was a bunch of acting, but um, I still don't believe it. You remember the days, right? Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Roddy Roddy Piper, right? The Million Dollar Man. I remember the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Forgive me for this rabbit trail. He became a Christian. He came to my youth group in Medicine Hat to speak. And um, his, his persona was he was the most arrogant. He was a million dollars. When he defeated someone, he shoved money in their mouth. Remember that? 
I don't know why I'm sharing this. <laughs> Other than the, just, the memory just came to me. He came to the, a youth rally in Medicine Hat, and I had a sign that said, insert money here. And then I, anyway, I just... <laughs> I thought he, he didn't do it, though. Um, but, but uh, yeah, so if, 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 you can, if you ever watch that wrestling, what happens is when, when, when someone has their opponent to the mat to defeat them, the referee kind of gets down when they're pinned, and he takes his hand and he slaps the mat, right? Once. Twice. And if he slaps that mat a third time, it's over. You won. He's defeated. And so what would often happen, right? Once, twice, and the, the hand's coming down a third time, and it's just about to smack the canvas, and whoa, he throws him off. Oh, it's not over yet. Whoa, didn't see that coming. How did it always happen when his hand is this close to the canvas? I think what's happening here, Jesus in the tomb for three days, it's, it's like death is defeated. One, two, three, you're knocked out. Three strikes and you're out. He has destroyed the ultimate destroyer, death itself, in his resurrection. What Paul is saying here is that causes us just, just to see that his power is total over all things. Over all things. He can be trusted in whatever you're going through. Because some of you, you know, like, you've got things that, you've got struggles and battles and enemies um, that could maybe destroy you, could sink you. Will you make it? Can God do it? The resurrection shows us that Jesus' power and authority over everything that you will face is complete. It's total. Um, he is trustworthy. My dad just got back from Ethiopia. He and my brother were there. They, they were uh, uh, leading a, a pastor's conference in this remote area of Ethiopia. A bunch of these pastors, um, most of them are converts, like uh, they didn't grow up Christian. They became Christians. They heard the good news. They became Christians. Their life was transformed. Many of them from Muslim backgrounds. Now they're taking the good news of Jesus back to these, these regions that have, don't have no church, have never heard the gospel. And so my dad was with these people for a couple of weeks, and he was sharing with me some of the stories. There was one guy who had just come back from, from going out to this area, this, this area that had never heard the gospel. And um, he came into this village, and he just heard the sound of wailing. And what he came up across was a funeral. There was a bunch of, of, of people gathered around this body, a, a woman's body. She was dead. And the whole community there is there wailing. And he just, and he feels like God asked him to go up there and, and to pray in Jesus' name over this woman. And so he goes and he does. And guess what? She rises from the dead. She gets up. And, and, and my dad said, that doesn't always happen there. That's happened to, a, you know, a, a few of the pastors. You know, like, like God did it. It happened to Jesus. We see it in the book of Acts. He still can and does those sort of things. Why? Well, when it happens, it's to testify to the supreme power of Jesus. To people who are hearing him and going, who is this Jesus? 
Is he trustworthy? Is he more powerful than whatever I'm trusting is, in is? And the answer is, yes, he is. Yes, he is. So trust in him. And so all those, all those people there, what, do you, what would you do? Yeah, do, do, what, here's the good news. Would you like to trust in Jesus? Yes. Yeah, if he can do that, yep. Yep. I mean, if Jesus rose from the dead, if he has power over death, would you trust in him? In the stuff you're going through? Would you trust in him? His resurrection shows us that his power is total. Everything is under his control. And that changes the way that we go through life. It changes the way that we view our problems. It changes the things that we feel. It changes our fear. It frees us to not have to guard our own life above all else and secure ourselves. For we have a God who has overcome even the power of death. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. He said, I consider, uh, sorry, verse 31, that what, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with giving us a son, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? No one. It is finished on the cross. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? If that's true, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? All the things that his audience is going through and facing. You just insert in there whatever it is that's scaring you, that's worrying you, that's facing you. You just put it in there. Shall those things separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because Jesus died and rose again. I think that's why the first thing he says, references is death. Can't Can any of these things separate us? No, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am convinced that neither death, that's the first thing he says, if God can lift a thousand pounds, then he can lift 800 pounds. If he can lift a thousand pounds, then he can lift 500 pounds. If he can lift a thousand pounds, then he can lift 75 pounds. If he can lift a thousand pounds, then he can lift whatever burden you carry. If he has overcome death, then he can overcome all. If he has power over death, he has power over all. Nothing then, nothing can separate us from the life that is ours in Christ Jesus. So as Peter would say at the beginning of his first letter, 1 Peter 1, he would say, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he has, in his mercy, has given us new birth into a living hope, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Because Jesus rose, we have a hope that's living. It keeps going. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can kill it. If Jesus rose from the dead, then he has power over everything. Everything you will face. That will change the way that you face your challenges and live your life. I, I remember when my girls were little, I liked little girl books because they were five pages long. Yeah, I'll read you a book. It takes 12 seconds. And then they got into these chapter books, and I'm like, where's the pictures? I remember this one little book, and, and I've, I've shared this once or twice before, but it was a book on uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan. You know that story Jesus told about, about the man who was on a journey and on the side of the road he, wa- he, was, he was mugged and beaten and left for dead, broken and bleeding. And this Good Samaritan came and found this broken man and took him and tended to him and, and nursed him back to health. And so this story was, you know, a little cardboard book, five pages long. And so I'm near the beginning and I'm, I think it's Annika, she's little, little. And, oh, here's the picture. Oh, look at him. He's bleeding. He's broken. Oh, that's so sad. Don't worry, Daddy. I know how it ends. (laughs) Oh, okay. Kind of took the fun out of it, to be honest. (laughs) I know, Daddy. Daddy, everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. I know how the story ends. Oh. You know, I, I think of that from time to time. That, that's really the same with the story of our life as followers of Jesus. We know how the story ends. What the resurrection means is we know exactly how your story ends. If you are a follower of Jesus, it ends with life. It ends with resurrection. Now, what's going to happen between now and then? I guess we'll wait and see, right? I mean, you're going to have chapters. Some of you think you've got 12 chapters left, and you've got two. I don't know who you are. And I'm glad I don't know. But you don't know. You don't know how many, and you don't know what's in those chapters. Some of the chapters, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be joys and highs. Some of the chapters, and maybe it's going to be extended longer chapters than you'd want it to be. There's going to be chapters of pain and grief and sorrow and all sorts of other challenges. But because Jesus rose from the dead, we know how the story ends. We know what the last chapter is, and that makes all the difference with how we go through the book, how how we read each chapter of our life, read and respond. We are third-day people. We're resurrection people. We're not first-day people stuck in darkness and gloom and defeat. We're not second-day people kind of stuck in silence and uncertainty and wonder, wondering what's happening. We're third-day people. We're resurrection people. We know the end of the story. We know the future that Jesus has secured for us through his death and his resurrection on the cross. We know we are liberated from fear. And now we get to go through life as third-day people. What if it's true? What if Jesus really rose from the dead? What if that's true? What would that mean for you? What difference would that make? If you left here feeling convinced 
Believing in your heart, as Paul said, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. If you left here believing that Jesus rose from the dead, what difference would that make? It's kind of the question I want to leave you with, and I, and I want you in your own heart or maybe around your own Easter table if you're sharing a meal with someone today, maybe you just want to finish this statement. Because Jesus lives I, you finish the statement, because Jesus lives, I, let's pray. Father God, we are grateful, and would you make us even more grateful, Lord, for this incredible thing that you have done that you sent your son into a broken world to broken people like us and you didn't just give us a bunch of commands and give us a roadmap and good advice and teach us good techniques to 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 change our lives but you through your son jesus you did it all you finished the work on the cross you confirmed it with the resurrection lord you you um, defeated everything that could come against us and your plan for us. And so God, we are just so grateful for this truth, that this is our truth. It's not just biblical truth. It's not historical truth. This is our truth in Jesus. It's a truth that we get to carry with us from this place into Monday, into our schools, into our workplaces, into our families and our neighborhoods and the doctor's office. And everywhere we go, we get to carry this truth that we know how our story ends Lord, and that just ought to make so much difference in our life. So as we go from here, Lord, would you just show us what it would look like to be third-day people? We love you, and we love your son, in whose name we pray, amen.